this. Well, I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Psalm 19. I'm continuing the series that I began two weeks ago called Navigating a Changing Culture. And today we're going to take a look at the issue of Christianity and science. Now, I confess up front that this is certainly out of my comfort zone because I am not in any way a scientist or one uh, that enjoys looking at a lot of science, but because this is an issue that comes up in our discussion with non-believers, we need to be ready to give a reason for our hope. So I hope to be able to equip us today to be able to do that. As you're turning there, I do want to give a praise and a prayer request. Uh, my daughter Emma is continuing to do well. Uh, we are fighting a little bit of an infection right now. She's on an antibiotic and just praying that will do the trick. We know that God does all things. So continue to pray for her uh, that the Lord will certainly see her through this, this little bump in the road. Psalm 19. Now, as I, before I read this, I do want to remind you that typically I would read this text and then work my way through it. Uh, doing things just a little bit different because of the nature of this series. So this message is a little bit more of a teaching message. So please keep that in mind. All right. Psalm 19 verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor their words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout, through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Bow with me and let's pray. God of all wonders and all creation, we give you praise this morning. Lord, I ask that you would help us. Help us, Lord, as we study your word and think about how you have revealed yourself in creation that we might be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Father, it's been that way since the beginning of Christianity. That the faith has been questioned and even attacked. So Father, rather than shrinking away, help us to speak the truth in love and to be ready to give an answer for our hope. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, I recognize that the title of this message, Science and the Glory of God, may to many seem like a contradiction. Because we are... Uh, in a world that really ingrains within us that science and Christianity are opposed. In fact, sometimes there's this, this attitude, I think, among believers that we are in the castle of faith and we are being assaulted by the cannons of science. And those cannons are being lit by scientists who are trying to do away with our faith. And indeed, there are those who attack the faith. For example, uh, Dr. Steven Pinker cognitive psychologist, linguist, author, professor of psychology at Harvard. He says, the findings of science imply that the belief systems of all the world's religions and cultures are factually mistaken. Talk about painting with a broad stroke. 
He says that science has disproven the faith of everyone and all cultures. Now, his voice is not the one that is best known in the world today. Professor, or a retired professor by the name of Richard Dawkins is probably the best known atheistic scientist attacking the faith. In fact, Dr. Dawkins has said the universe has all the properties we should expect if there is at bottom. No design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. He's saying you look around at the universe and it testifies to itself that there is no God. That there's no mercy, there's no truth. Just blind, pitiless indifference. Doesn't that inspire you to start the day? But these are not the only voices out there. These are not the only scientists. It's very important for us to remember that this is only a, a, a very small minority of those who have engaged in the study of the sciences. Let me give you some examples. Dr. Daniel Hastings is a professor at MIT. That's the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, a school with quite a reputation to say the least. Dr. Hastings is a frequent speaker at Veritas Forums. Veritas Forums are conducted across the nation at college campuses that present a defense for the Christian faith and then have Q&A sessions afterward that are incredible. You can find them online. Dr. Hastings says at the beginning of his talks, I start by saying that there is a God who created the universe and he is not an impersonal God. Now, Dr. Hastings is the head of the aeronautics and astronautics department at MIT. Once again, that carries with it a lot of credibility. Furthermore, add to his voice another professor from MIT, Dr. Jean Kong, who says, my research is only a platform for me to do God's work. His creation, the way he made this world is very interesting. It's really amazing. It's a far cry from attacking the faith. Once again, her academic bona fides are clear. She's the professor in the Department of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science and the principal investigator in the research laboratory at MIT. If I could add one more, and this is another professor. This one also is coming from Cambridge University. Dr. Russell Calburn says, Understanding more of science doesn't make God smaller. It allows us to see his creative activity in more detail. The reason I point these statements out is this. When people tell you that science and scientists cannot believe in God, that's patently false. These are voices of believers that are saying clearly that creation points to God. But even with these testimonies, there are those who believe that science and Christianity are opposed. And many even go so far as to say the reason is not science. The reason is Christianity. They would argue that Christianity has always been opposed to science. So if you'd allow me to give a little bit of a history lesson this morning, they argue that the reason they make this statement goes back to the 16th century to a man by the name of Galileo. So they argue historically that Christianity has always been opposed to science. And they say it's because of what happened to Galileo when he was deemed a heretic by the Catholic Church. Now, if you're not familiar with Galileo's, Galileo's story, Galileo, his story, let me just give you a very quick overview. He introduced what we take for granted today, specifically that the universe is heliocentric rather than geocentric. Now, you may be thinking right now, what the what? All that's saying is this. Geocentric, 
or geocentrism was the belief that the earth was the center of the universe. And everything circled around the earth. That was viewed as truth. And the church even backed this. Heliocentrism is the idea that the sun is at the center of the solar system. And all the planets revolve around the sun. So Galileo is studying through his telescope and he begins to understand that the universe, the solar system, is heliocentric. Now the problem was this. Geocentrism, the idea that everything revolves around the earth, had been taught by Aristotle. Aristotle had taught that the, the universe space was immutable perfection. That everything operated in circles and the space was unchanging. Well, Galileo's looking through his telescope and he discovers two things. One, the, the path that the planets take around the sun contradicted Aristotle was not a circle, but it was an ellipsis, elliptical. And then he also saw a supernova. He saw a star dying and one being born, which meant that the universe changed. But the problem was is that the teachings of Aristotle had been so accepted by the, the Catholic Church that as a result... Galileo was deemed a heretic by the church and sentenced to house arrest. Now, before we throw up our hands and say, okay, you got us there, the church is against science, I want you to take a few things into consideration. First is this, keep in mind that history does not unfold in a vacuum. There are things going on around it. At the time Galileo began presenting his scientific findings, the Catholic Church was in a very defensive mode. It's because of the Protestant Reformation. Remember, Luther, and Calvin, and others had questioned the authority of the church, the authority of the Pope. So already the church is in a very defensive mode against anyone that would question the church's authoritative statements. So when Galileo starts saying that Aristotle was wrong and the church is wrong to believe this, the church was already thinking, whoa, whoa, no, wait a minute, we can't have any more questioning. You see, the church had accepted Aristotle's view and made the Bible fit that view. Now that's a danger we have to be careful of today. So in other words, they had made up their mind and they had said, we're going to make the Bible fit this. And the Bible seemed to back up what Aristotle taught. That the earth was the center of the universe and everything revolved around it. Think about it. How does the meteorologist refer to the sun rising? The sun will rise at 6.33 tomorrow morning. Does the sun really rise? No. What they're using is what's called phenomenological language. Now, there's a word, just throw it around at the dinner table tonight. You'll notice phenomenologically. Simply, that is language that explains the, the event as it's witnessed. So you see, whenever you're watching and listening to the weatherman, do you jump up and look at the TV and say, that weatherman is against science because he said the sun rises and we know the sun doesn't rise. No, we recognize he's simply describing the event. Well, the Bible does that. You see it here in Psalm 19 where he talks about the sun running its circuit from one end to the other. That's phenomenological language. It's describing an event that we see it. But the problem was is that the church had accepted Aristotle and then closed off any other examination of what was happening. Now furthermore, I'm just going to add this in. 
Galileo was his own worst enemy at times. Letters from Galileo had been kept by his daughter as well as the church. In fact, there's a book where some of this information is found called Galileo's Daughter. Galileo would attack vehemently anyone who disagreed with him. If there had been Twitter around in that day, he would have blown it up. He attacked the Pope, he attacked anyone, and his language did not serve him well. Because already the Pope is defensive and now you have someone attacking him. And by the way, when Galileo first began publishing his findings, many in the church were supportive of him. And many secular people who loved Aristotle thought Galileo had lost his mind. In fact, Galileo was not attacking Christianity. It's very important to remember that. Galileo was a firm believer. He believed in the Lord God. In fact, Galileo wrote, The laws of nature are written by the hand of God in the language of mathematics. Now, I don't speak the mathematic language very well, but it's there. He said, Math reveals God's handiwork. He said, The human mind is a work of God and one of the most excellent. One most excellent. Christianity is not anti-science. There were reasons the church responded as it did. Was it wrong to deem him a heretic? Yes. But that does not mean that Christianity is against science. In fact, it's important to remember that theology, Christianity, is the basis for modern science. Modern science came about because of Christians. Now, let me show you what I mean. Science is the study of order in nature. It's looking at the regularity of things and understanding why. If there was no regularity, there could be no science because things could not be repeated, they could not be studied. So science is the study of order in nature. And modern science began with the belief that God made nature. And that nature testifies about God. That's called general revelation. Once again, I direct your attention quickly to Psalm 19, 1 through 6. That's why the psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. That's the regular pattern of God's creation. Day to day, night to night, season to season with regularity. In fact, he says, these changes, these regular changes testify even though they do not speak. They don't say a word, but their voice is heard all over the world. In fact, at the end of verse 6, he says, there's nothing hidden from its heat. The regularity of the sun, the regularity of the moon shines over all the earth. And it testifies to God. Therefore, science was built upon the premise that the study of nature brings knowledge of God and brings glory to God. Now once again, just to give a little bit of, of support to what I presented to you here, let's go back to the origins of modern science. Modern science where you look at an event that is observable, repeatable, you, divide, you design a hypothesis, you test that hypothesis, you experiment, and you draw a conclusion. That methodology was developed by Roger Bacon on the left and William of Ockham. They were Jesuit priests committed to the faith. And believed that the regular study of nature conducted in a methodological way would bring about glory and honor to God. They started modern science. Francis Bacon, another believer, built upon that. 
and helped develop the scientific premises even more. A believer, Dr. Hans Halverson, a Princeton University philosophy professor, said the first scientists believed our universe was designed and created by God according to a blueprint that can be discerned by rational creatures like ourselves. So when somebody says that Christianity is opposed to science, you can say, no, wait a minute. Christianity developed scientific method. Christianity has pushed for science so that we can know more of who God is and bring glory to Him by understanding the incredible intricacies of the world and the universe that He has made. It's simply a myth, a lie to say that Christianity is anti-science. But yet this begs the question, what happened? Certainly most people in the United States at least do not view Christianity and science as being compatible. In fact, for many, there's a wide gulf between the two that says you can't be a scientist and be a Christian. Well, one, I hope I've shown you that that is patently untrue. And also to see the Christian basis of science. So what has happened? It is very important to remember that the battle today is not against science. It's not against between science and the Christian faith. The issue is what scientists bring to the table. The issue is not faith and science. Let me introduce you to two words, two concepts. You may have heard them before, but if, if not, let me introduce them to you. The first is worldview. A worldview is a way of understanding the world, a way, that, a way you seek to make sense of things. A worldview always seeks to answer the questions of how did we get here? What's our purpose? How did things go wrong? How do we fix them? Those are the, the big questions of life. And a worldview is a way of approaching those questions. It becomes a way that we understand the world. It's like the window we look through to make sense of things. Every person has a worldview. Everyone. You may not have thought through it. You may not have examined it. But you have a way through which you understand the world. And I pray that it's, it's a biblical worldview that understands God as creator, our purpose is to glorify Him. Things have gone wrong because we rebelled against God. And how are things fixed? Through the redemption brought by Jesus Christ. That's worldview. Our presuppositions often influence our worldview. Now, a presupposition is this. It's a belief that takes precedent over all other beliefs. And serves as the criteria for other beliefs. It's something you presuppose. Think of it like this. A presupposition is something you have made up your mind about. And nothing's going to change it. You ever met someone like that? I've made up my mind. No matter what evidence you present to me, I'm going to make it fit how I've made up my mind. That's a presupposition. You've presupposed something to be true and everything else has to fit into that frame. Science is about observation. But the conclusions that are drawn from the observations are shaped by the worldview and the presuppositions of the scientist. Let me repeat that. Science is about observation. But the conclusions drawn from what is observed will be shaped by a worldview and presuppositions. That's why I say the battle's not with science. 
The battle is recognizing what presuppositions are brought to the table. Now, the most common worldview and presupposition among many scientists today is that of naturalism. Naturalism holds that there is nothing that exists outside of the natural world. In other words, if you can't see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, or touch it, it doesn't exist. Therefore, they say there's no room for the supernatural. You can't see it, taste it, uh, taste it, test it, anything at all. So the only thing that exists is the natural. There's no room for God in a worldview shaped by naturalism. Now let me give you an example of how worldview and presuppositions play out. I want to give you a, a comparison of two statements made by two scientists who are both well recognized in their fields. On the left is a statement by Dr. E.O. Wilson. He's a retired biologist from Harvard. He gained fame by being recognized as the new Darwin. He was that well respected in the field of biology. He said scientific humanism. In other words, that which can be proven by rationality, by being tasted, touched, seen, smelled, everything like that. That's the only worldview compatible with science. Science is growing knowledge of the real world and the laws of nature. In other words, there's no room for God at all. Now on the right is a quote from Dr. Henry F. Schaefer III. He is a computational and theoretical chemist, a professor at the University of Georgia. Once again extremely well respected in his field, well written, published. And he says, a creator must exist. Scientific findings are clearly pointing to an ek nihilo, that means creation out of nothing, that's consistent with the first few verses of the book of Genesis. Two scientists seeing the same facts, drawing different conclusions. Why? Presuppositions and worldview. One cannot allow that there's anything that exists beyond nature. The other, a worldview that would allow for God. Oh, let me get back here. Now, pressing on, we'll get to this in just a moment. Another example of presuppositions is this. Dr. Stephen Hawking, the late Stephen Hawking, was a genius. There, there's no other way to say it. His book, A Brief History of Time, was a bestseller that popularized his theory about black holes in the beginning of creation. In that book, A Brief History of Time, Dr. Hawkins made this statement. Because there is a law like gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Let me repeat that. Because there is a law like gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Now think about what he's saying there. Because I trip and I fall down, that means the universe can become something out of nothing. Wow. Why do you draw that conclusion? Because I drop this microphone, all of a sudden I can say, well, that's proof the universe can create itself. No. That's bringing in presupposed ideas. So the question is, what has caused this leap of faith? And in fact, that's exactly what it is. It is a leap of faith. Because science has its limits. You see, science cannot explain why. We have fallen today where science is taken as gospel. 
It's called scientism. Where it's believed that science can explain everything. And that's the only way to know truth. But science has limits. Science can tell you how something may have happened. But it can't tell you why. Let me give just to me a down-to-earth illustration of this. Italian cream cake. My mother was a great cook. Now, I, may, I am biased, but I really believe if you were to put that to scientific testing, you would agree with me. My mother could make this out-of-this-world Italian cream cake. And she would make it frequently because she knew that it was one of my favorites that, that, of the desserts that she made. Now, a scientist could break down that cake. A scientist could tell you the ingredients, how the ingredients mix together, why the temperature it's cooked at is important. It could study the caloric intake, not only in consuming it, but the energy it took in making it. A scientist could break down how the taste buds work and dance on my tongue whenever they would taste it. But science could never tell you why she made it. Science couldn't tell you why, out of a love for her son, she would make Italian cream cake. Science falls short in that. Science can't teach morality. It can't tell you why things are wrong. We like to think that it can, but it can't. It can only tell you what is. Scientists can tell you that strychnine is a poison that will kill you if ingested, but it can't tell you why you shouldn't put it in someone's tea. It's a limit of it. Science cannot make judgments on beauty. Science can't tell you why a poem is beautiful or why a work of art is, is considered gorgeous and not just a smudge on canvas. The point is there are other ways of knowledge, not just scientific testing. But yet today, scientists and many others will say, well, there's fact-based belief and then there's blind faith belief. Have you ever heard that? It's blind faith. What they're saying is there's no proof. And their argument is this, that Christianity is based upon blind faith while scientific fact is based on hard evidence. In fact, Dr. Dawkins says this, he says it's fashionable to wax apocalyptic about the threat to humanity posed by the AIDS virus, mad cow disease and many others. But I think that a case can be made that faith is one of the world's great evils comparable to the smallpox virus but harder to eradicate. Faith, being belief that isn't based on evidence. Now that's his definition of faith. It's belief not based on any evidence is the principal vice of any religion. He is one of those that views any religion as being dangerous because it's based upon faith. But we need to be prepared to say this in answer. That is not the biblical definition of faith. Biblical faith is never based upon blind faith or it's never based on anything without reason. I draw your attention to Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, the definition of faith. Faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That word conviction means convicting evidence. It deals with looking at the facts and drawing a conclusion. God is not seen, but we look around at the evidence that leads us to conclude that God must exist. To me, one of the greatest issues is this. How can something come from nothing? Scientists agree there was a beginning to the universe. What was that beginning? You either have to say that something came out of nothing or there was a first movement, a beginner, a God who spoke and brought things into creation. 
And the evidence around us looks to that. So in the very Bible itself, it says faith is what? It's the conviction. It's the convicting evidence of things not seen. That's why he says in verse 3, by faith. In other words, by the convicting evidence of what we cannot see, we understand the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Christianity involves looking at the evidence and drawing a conclusion. In fact, Christianity has never been anti-intellectual. There are those who try to paint all Christians as just being moronic, that check our brains at the door. Hear me clearly. The Bible never asks believers to stop thinking. To the contrary, what did Jesus say when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. I left out one. What did I leave out? Mind. Developing your mind and thinking, developing critical skills to think is a way of loving God. Isaiah said this, come, let us reason together. Think logically together. Romans speaks of renewing your mind. Philippians directs us in how to think. The Bible never calls for us to check our rationality at the door. It calls for us to consider the evidence, to use our minds. So to that end, let me draw some conclusions in this. First is this. Don't be afraid of science or intimidated when science is used against the Christian faith. I want you to remember the issue is not science, it's the worldview, the presuppositions that are often brought to it. And if I could say a word directly to students, both in high school, college, middle school, your faith does not have to be shipwrecked by science. Yes, you may sit in a class where a, a professor or a teacher says, well, science has disproved God. Recognize that is not true. That is an interpretation they have placed upon science. Recognize that creation testifies of the glory of God. In fact, Psalm 19, 1 through 6, speaks of general revelation that points to God that can actually lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. A case in point is that the testimony of Dr. Alistair McGrath. You may have never heard of him. Uh, I encourage you, though, to look him up. He's a professor at Oxford, brilliant man. He has a Ph.D. in molecular biology and a Ph.D. in church history. He's a sharp cookie. When he was a young man, he was an atheist. Disavowed belief in God. After graduating high school, he began his college career at Wadham College, I'm sorry, at Methodist College in Belfast in Ireland, where he studied mathematics, physics, and chemistry. Then he began studying molecular biology at the Oxford University Department. While he was there, the Lord began moving in his heart as he was studying things on a cellular level. God placed other believers in his life. Combined with what he was seeing underneath the telescope and the witness he was hearing, he wrote, and I quote, I was discovering that Christianity was far more intellectually robust than I had ever imagined. And I had some major rethinking to do. And by the end of November of 1971, my decision was made. I turned my back on one faith and embraced another. His faith had been in science. And he says, I stopped believing in that for salvation. And I looked to the Lord God, Jesus Christ. All that through what? The study of God's creation. Don't be afraid to embrace 
a career in science, biology, physics. We need Christians in those fields. We need your voice to be added to those that I showed you earlier who, who speak the truth of the gospel. Don't think it has to be a choice. Dr. Robert Boyle uh, lived in the 16th century. He developed what's called Boyle's Law. Boyle's Law is this. Any gas will expand to fill the container into which it's placed. Don't be impressed that I know that I discovered that this week. As a young man, Dr. Boyle struggled with, should I go into the ministry and become a priest? Or should I pursue science? And Robert Boyle felt the Lord telling him that his calling was to science and that he could do more for the kingdom by following that path than as a priest. Don't be afraid. Use your brain for God's glory. Dedicate your life to serve the kingdom, whether you are a, a, a professor or just love science. Because and this is the second thing I want you to remember. Science is a way that we can bring glory to God. You see, learning more about something doesn't disprove God. Think about that logic for a moment. To think that if you discover more about something, it's going to discredit God. Suppose with me for a moment that a Ford F-150 pickup truck was dropped down in the middle of the jungle among a people that had never seen a Ford F-150, never seen a car. You teach them that this was developed by Mr. Ford, and they're amazed. They actually began to worship Mr. Ford. And these people began to learn more about the V8 combustible engine. They learn about the intricacies of the valves and the oil and how everything works. Would it make sense for them then to say, well, I don't believe Mr. Ford anymore because look how complex this engine is. No. If anything, they would become more amazed at what Ford designed. Hear me. The more we learn about creation, the more we will be amazed at who God is. If there's one of the many things I've learned on this journey with Emma, it is indeed how fearfully and wonderful the human body is. God's amazing. And the study of science and nature should cause our minds to expand. So we will say in the words that we sung earlier, O oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. When I see the stars and I hear the rolling thunder, it is your power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, how great thou art. Whether you're looking at the universe through a telescope or the cell through a microscope, to know that is God's he knows you. That great God knows you intimately and is worthy of your worship. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me now. I know this is a lot of information and it's not a typical Sunday morning message. But I hope and I pray that God has used this maybe just to challenge your thinking to see that God is the God of all creation. And we should not be afraid of science. We should see God's glory in all things. Father, open our eyes to see your handiwork. Open our eyes, O oh Lord, that we will be more and more amazed at your creation. God, you are awesome. And this morning we glorify your name through Christ our Lord.